Welcome to another episode of The Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society, and vice versa. Coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas, my name is Kevin, and joining by way of Starfleet Holodeck are my good friends Sean in Indiana. Hello, everyone. And James in Kentucky. Hey, hello. Hey, before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, and follow us on social media at Caption Life on both Twitter and Instagram. You can also find out more info and past episodes at podpage.com slash the caption life. Uh, <clears throat> you know what? If you're looking for the most exciting and entertaining comic talk in the multiverse, you can count on finding it right here on the caption life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, hey. I can the say that has already started. <laughs> I can say that confidently. I can say that confidently because joining us tonight. Uh, from Portland, Oregon, is author and illustrator Ibrahim Mustafa, uh, and we'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me, fellas. I'm glad to be here. So uh, I can count, or I can't count, the number of big books that Ibrahim has worked on uh, because he's been published at DC, Marvel, uh, Image, Dynamite, Dark Horse, uh, Boom, Valiant, and IDW. I don't. I think I got them all. Uh, and I'm sorry for dropping those terrible, terrible puns. But he is here to talk today about uh, Count, his new uh, original graphic novel from Humanoids. All right. So, um, Ibrahim, this is a, a great book. But before we get into that, uh, we always like to ask people who come on our show, um, what got you into comics? Like, what's your earliest memory? And what got you hooked into it? Yeah, I was a big Superman fan as a little kid. Yes. Some of my earliest memories are watching the Christopher Reeve movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in 85. So by the time I was like, you know, aware enough of things to enjoy media, I think all of them were on VHS at that point. Mm-hmm. So I, I really watched Superman four the most on a list. Yes. Yeah. I, I personally wore out a copy of VHS copy of <laughs> Superman four. Yeah. Yes. And I will, I will die on the hill of defending that movie. You know uh, what? You you hear about it today, and it's like, it's the worst one. Superman four is terrible. But as a kid, you're like, no, this is amazing. Honestly, right. I, I won't go on the tangent because we're just getting started, but I think it's I think it's the best Superman movie as right. far as the oh, Superman yeah. story. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was I was watching those and then um, I, I was probably about four when I got my first two comics and they were, I think, Detective Comics number six. I don't remember. I think it was 623 or something like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly what number it was, but it was a, a Marv Wolfman. um uh Jim Aparo Dick Giordano issue and then uh John Burns Man of Steel number 2 and that one came with an audio cassette that had sound effects and uh actors reading the dialogue and so I would just play that tape over and over and read the comic and that was kind of how I learned to read um so yeah it's been they've been with me since you know I can remember pretty much nice so um so let's go ahead and dive into Count, which is a just truly phenomenal book. But can you go ahead and kind of give our listeners um, an overview of the new book? Yeah, and thank you for the kind words, man. It's um, it's uh, kind of my sci-fi fantasy-ish reimagining or remixing of The Count of Monte Cristo, which is mm-hmm. uh, Alexander Dumas you know, classic revenge tale from, uh, I think 1840 something. Um, 
you don't have to be familiar with the story to to read and enjoy this but uh you know i basically the broad strokes are what i took from it and then i kind of boiled it down and and made it its own thing but essentially it's about a a young merchant courier who kind of has the world on his string and things are looking up for him and um you know he's got a fiance who he loves and and uh he is framed by jealous rivals for treason and sent to rot away in a prison um that is like virtually inescapable and you know he'll just spend the rest of his life there while he's in the prison he meets uh another prisoner who was tunneling his way out and accidentally digs into his cell and so they become friends and start to try to escape together uh and and the the other prisoner is an old man who uh, knows the whereabouts of a, a vast treasure. And so the plan is to escape together and use that treasure to live the rest of their lives. Um, but the main character ends up being fixated on getting revenge against the people who wronged him and sent him away. And so once he does escape, he takes that money, rebrands himself as a man of status and attempts to do that. So that's kind of what they what they share in DNA. And then in my version, uh, you know, the setting is different and and you know there's there's ships and robots and impossible swords and floating islands and things like that. And uh, I, I wanted to make it a story about not just revenge, but also like, you know, putting your own things aside for the greater good. And so that's what the main character has to deal with is what's more important, his vengeance or, you know, kind of this like egalitarian sort of uh, revolution that he's finding himself at the center of. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in high school, um, I had to take a two-year AP Lit class. And that was one of the two books that I read that I actually really, truly enjoy. Um, was The Count of Monte Cristo. And uh, uh, I even uh, enjoyed the uh, film that uh, Jim Caviezel did. Yeah. Like, like. Years ago now, even before yeah, he did Passion. So, yeah, I actually love all of Alexander Dumas uh, of movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there isn't there isn't a version of the Three Musketeers that I haven't seen. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And you know what's interesting is a lot because he wrote the Three Musketeers. A lot of people think that the Count of Monte Cristo w- was this swashbuckling adventure, but it's really this like character drama. That's much more like a soap opera. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's like no action in that book at all. Like not, I think there's maybe a sword drawn at one point and it's, you know, an 11, <laughs> not even a fight, just a sword drawn. <laughs> right. And like, uh, you know, there's a duel that ends up not happening. Like cooler you know, heads prevail. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I mean, it's a, it's an 1100, 1200 page book, something like that. Right. Um, and so that was a big thing for me is I, I love action and I love drawing action and I wanted to inject some of that into this. So. Right. So kind of to like kick off this book before you even get into the action part of it, you give uh, Mark Wade uh, a big shout out on the uh, dedication of this book. So what kind of role did he play in like helping this book come about and to reach um an audience for it yeah i mean he was instrumental so uh humanoids had hired uh a a new senior editor a guy by the name of fabrice sapolsky and he had approached me about drawing a book for humanoids that was part of this kind of shared universe they were starting 
And schedule wise, I couldn't do it, but I, we got to talking and I said, I do have something I would like to pitch for when, you know, I finished this project I'm working on now. So he said, yeah, yeah, pitch it to me. So I sent it to him and they had, uh, Fabrice, I believe brought in Mark as like a, I want to say like a creative consultant or editorial consultant. Um, you know, cause the guy's got such a rich pedigree of, of comics, uh, you know, career behind him that, I mean, he's, he's like such a, a great choice for that sort of thing. So Mark saw my pitch and, you know, as he was serving in that uh, sort of consultant capacity, he, he advised them like you, as he, as Mark tells me, he said, you need to sign this yesterday. Like, what are you waiting on? So wow. it was, it was, you know, I, I know Fabrice liked it, but Mark was the one who I think really uh, kind of got it through the door. So uh, awesome. big, yeah, big thanks to Mark. Cause you know, he's, he's one of my, I mean, he's on my Mount Rushmore of comics. Like kingdom come was one of the first things I read when I was really getting back into comics after a long you know, hiatus through growing up, I started to get into them like right after high school. And, you know, Alex Ross was my way in because I saw his work and I was just like, this guy's incredible. What else has he done? And then I found Kingdom Come and thereby Mark and so on. So awesome. That's Great. a nice vote of, vote of confidence from, from a, <laughs> yeah. a, a well-respected legend. Yeah, I'll take it any day. You know, it was it was really something. <laughs> so uh, so this this is obviously based on uh, a story from classic literature. What what drew you to these specific characters, and and how did you set out to give it that uh, that futuristic sci fi update? Well, I I really love stories about revenge, like something about people getting their just desserts. You know, their their comeuppance. Like it just, I don't know. It's very cathartic, right? Because we're surrounded by so much injustice and terrible things that happen with no consequences in the world, and it's kind of just a way to get it vicariously, I guess. Right. Do you root for like the, the bad guy? Like, and I know what you did last summer. <laughs> I, I probably not just cause he's on the opposing team to Jennifer Love Hewitt. Who I yeah, will that's forever, true. That's true. <laughs> but, but, what, I took, uh, what I took away from that is don't, don't mess with Ibrahim. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> cause he will get revenge on you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like obsessed and crazy. With it. I will find you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a very particular set of skills. <laughs> uh, so actually Taken is one of my favorite movies for sure. <laughs> and oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I love Taken. I love John Wick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I guess I, I think it was around the time John Wick had come out. And I was thinking like just I was kind of in that revenge story headspace. Like, you know, you you devour a thing and that you enjoy and you want more of it. And right. I started thinking about the Count of Monte Cristo because, you know, it's a great revenge story. And I was just like, you know, what if that was, and I know people kind of adapt, you know, there are a lot of things that are sort of a play on it, like old boy, or, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a long list, but I thought like, what if you took that story and, and, you know, just put it in like a cooler setting and, and, you know, sci-fi came to mind because there's a lot of it was because of the things that I like to draw. So I kind of, you know, for a long time I was doing James Bond stuff and a lot of like, you know, I did a Vertigo book that was kind of like an espionage sort of horror type of thriller. And so I was drawing a lot of people in suits and guns and stuff like that. And, Mm -hmm. and I was just, I just really wanted to stretch my legs. So I, that's kind of how it all came about. Like what if I drew the Count of Monte Cristo, but it was like a bunch of stuff that I want to draw, like cool things that levitate or float or, you know, sword fights and stuff like that. So 
that's sort of how the process began. That's awesome. So, so Red Zan Samud is is a uh, is that a, a tribute to Alexander Dumas? Is that a rearrange of the the letters? Yeah, yeah, and not and a lot of people have caught that. It's basically Xander Dumas, right? But yeah, so I, I, found, I figured that the, the the last name was spelled backwards. Yeah, um, and and that that word actually in Arabic is like a name. It means like strong of will. So it was like no a kidding. perfect kind of yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Total serendipity. Yeah, <laughs> so can't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the things I, I I like that I think that's a really great touch. Um, one of the things I noticed in like reading the in the first uh the first chapter. Um, so I, I, I get where that name comes from, but I want to know how you find vocabulary words like polarity modulator. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I love cool looking stuff, but I also love when there's a reason for it to exist. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I wanted to draw islands that hovered or floated. Right. Like, I mean, right. The, that kind of started with the prison. Cause I know that's a trope in a lot of fantasy and things like that, but you never get a reason why. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and with the prison, I thought how much more inescapable would it be if it wasn't just an Island, but if it was hovering, you know, half a mile in the air or however high, you know? Um, So from there I asked myself, okay, well, how would it float? And then I started to think about this particular world and I thought, okay, well maybe there are magnetic properties to like the, ore, you know, the metal ores like found in this, (gasps) in the ground of this place. Mm. And maybe there are magnetic properties tied to that. And so there's like a reverse polarity that causes these islands to float the way they do. Like when you take two magnets of the same charge and they won't touch each other, right? They kind of repel each other. So then I thought, okay, well maybe this society was able to harness that and, you know, turn it into science and that their industrial revolution would have been based on that versus ours which was based on like harnessing you know combustion engine technology Mm -hmm. so then i go okay well then their their vehicles wouldn't need little tiny explosions to propel them so maybe the designs of them are based on something different Mm -hmm. instead you know because the 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 it didn't necessitate building around a combustion engine so that frees up their ability to you know design it based on different things so like the ships in this resemble whales and you know the the sort of hover bike things that that the the guards use are you know based on horse designs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So yeah, it was a, the the polarity modulator thing was was my reasoning for how they would harness that polarity and modulate it, you know, to to gauge the the distance from the ground that their vehicles would have. I think I think it's interesting that you had to like think through and come up with all of this like background information. Like you had to think through the history of a people that didn't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's not quite Tolkien given the elves their own language, but it's pretty right. impressive. Right. Thank you, man. Well, you know, I, I think you have to make it kind of real and believable for yourself, or at least I do. Cause I, I like when things have explanations, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. It, and, and the thing about it too, is it doesn't make it into the book really. Like you just, that's all kind of in my head or, you know, in conversations like this. So, uh, you know, I wanted I wanted the world to feel lived in, but I didn't want to hit people over the head with like exposition on how all that stuff worked. You know, right? So it's it feels good that there is an explanation, but I didn't 
you know, it wasn't the like, so how long have we been brothers kind of dialogue? Where, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for the compendium that you'll, you'll make later. Right? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. When like, you know, Netflix comes through and buys this book, you can do like, you know, the encyclopedia compendium right. thing <laughs> yeah. and then make all kinds of extra money well, on it. Maybe in another, maybe in another 200 years, we don't even remember what the count of Monte Cristo is. And we just have, we just have Ibram's, uh, version of it like, <laughs> okay. like this man was a genius <laughs> and he's te- they're, te- they're right? teaching it in 10th grade they're teaching yeah. his graphic novel in 10th grade the, the way it was meant right right <laughs> the way it was meant to be that'd be awesome i mean i do think that maybe our uh commitment to education may decline to a point where it's not even about the pro stuff anymore like get the one with the pictures you know <laughs> we'll see right yeah, not that not that graphic novels are any less valid of a of a you know, but I, I think there is something um, more academic about stuff without pictures, right? Mm. <laughs> At least yeah. in our day and age. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know what's what's fascinating is that you took a source material from um, the 19th century, right, and the from the 1800s, and set it in the future. So these are like two time periods where. You know, right now where we live in, it's either, you know, they're both intangible, right? Because it's something that hasn't happened yet and it's something that has happened, but, you know, not, we can't necessarily relate to it, you know, because of the time and context and stuff like that. So, so how do you have like a, um, a process in thinking about like when you combine these two things together, how to make it like relevant for people, you know, in, in our day and age right now that gets them interested in this when you're doing like the combination of, of those two stories and your storytelling process? Yeah, I mean, so so with this, you know, it's not necessarily like the future as much as it is just like an adjacent world, right? Right. Because I I didn't want it to have like recognizable touchstones mm-hmm. to our, you know, like there's no cell phones, they don't have computers, right? Stuff like that, you know what I mean? So it's it is kind of, I mean, it's sci-fi in the sense that like there is fictional science in it, but it's also a bit of fantasy in terms of the aesthetic, right? Like it's right. kind of like maybe a little game of thrones meets star wars meets like right know, something that doesn't exist right <laughs> like, that, that makes so, sense yeah yeah and so the reason i wanted to do that is and, and part of the reason i i wanted to put it in a different setting altogether is that i think that you know 19th century france during the time of napoleon isn't everybody's jam right mm-hmm. like aesthetically i think that can just be a turn off to a lot of people because the clothes are funny and the you know or whatever. So I wanted to make it something that wasn't rooted or anchored by any specific recognizable stuff to our time and world. Right. Right. Um, I think also one of the strengths of the original novel is that, and one of the reasons it's endured so much is because all that stuff is timeless in terms of theme, you know, wrongful incarceration, you know, wanting revenge, um, all that kind of stuff is like, it still happens today. Right. And it'll still mm-hmm. happen probably a hundred years from now, unfortunately. And, and so I wanted to set it in a time that could be read now or in 20 years or whatever. And it wouldn't look dated because, you know, well, we don't even use cell phones anymore. We have implants now or, you know, whatever. So, right. so yeah, it was definitely, I, I definitely set out to make it something that was its own thing so that it could, mm-hmm. you know, be more anachronistic in that way. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's brilliant, like, thinking of it that way, too. So, Thank you. Well, uh, the next 
thing that we're going to ask you has to deal with like how you pulled uh double duty on this book. It's like writer and artist and uh, how you kind of balance both of those as you're going through this book. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I love writing for myself. Like it's fun to collaborate with other people in comics, but you kind of, and I, this is getting tired of me. People are probably tired of me saying this because I use this analogy a lot, but it's like dressing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're working with a writer, it's kind of like they went into your closet and picked out clothes for you. And you're like, I wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. Like it doesn't play to my strengths. I, I feel awkward, you know? So right. sometimes you get asked to draw stuff that you're just like, I don't, I don't know how to draw. Like, I don't, this doesn't excite me or anything. So writing it for myself really gives me the opportunity to do stuff that I think will look cool that I feel like is putting my best foot forward. Um, and as far as the process went, because it was my first time working with humanoids and really because of the way the process of, of just comics works, you know, as far as getting paid, like I wrote a full script to send to them. And then once that was approved, I actually went and did a Marvel one shot thing that I had already had on my schedule. And then I went back and drew count after that. So um, yeah, I'm working full script and, and writing it all out for myself. I do think there would be times where I'd prefer to just do like kind of a loose page outline for everything and then you know go in and figure it out from there but when you have a gap between when you wrote it and when you're drawing it it is nice to have those kind of reminders for yourself (laughs) right so did you ever have a day that you're just going through and drawing things with this and you're kind of like what the hell was the writer thinking on this and you're like (laughs) Oh crap. That's me. Like I'm the one who wrote this. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, there are, there's a big battle scene in this book and those aren't fun to draw. (laughs) Like, but it was, it just was necessary, right? Like it was something that needed to happen in the story and I was excited about that. So that got me through it. But yeah, I mean, anytime you got to draw like something, that involved it sucks because it just i mean the reason it sucks is because you're on a deadline if i had nothing but time to do it it wouldn't be that big a deal because it'd be fun Mm. and i could space it out but you have about a day roughly to do every one of these pages and so you know uh sometimes you get lucky and you get a page that doesn't have as much on it and other days you're drawing you know 200 people or indicating 200 people at the very (laughs) least and uh yeah those are the days i definitely cursed my past self for doing it. (laughs) And I I would think that just like what you said, action scenes are probably the hardest to draw just because, you know, like when we see in the movies, you're seeing like axe passion, like, you know, action packed and fast paced and everything like that. But in a comic, like you have to think about which frames you have to like pull out to communicate like what's happening in the action without being able to like show what else is going on in that. Right. Yeah. The planning of those scenes is the most difficult. Right. Um, but the the execution is some of the most fun because you're drawing people. I, I mean, I just enjoy like people in motion and trying to figure mm-hmm. out different ways to to encapsulate that motion in a static image. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the, that's a double-edged sword because it's really difficult at the at the outset, but then really fun when you're finishing it up. Right. Gotcha. Um, so... And talking about, you know, writing and drawing characters, um, you know, how does this compare to what you've done with some of the other 
labels like Marvel and DC? Do you enjoy like getting to color outside the lines and taking risks with your own stories uh, with like characters like James Bond that belongs to something else, you know, or, or, you know, how, how, what would you say was the biggest difference in terms of what you enjoy the most about, you know, doing this sort of story versus doing something that's already been established through like, you know, something like Marvel or DC or some of the other big comic uh, uh, companies. Well, it's interesting, you know, I, so as far as writing and drawing, I've, aside from my own stuff, I I've only written and drawn for, you know, one other publisher, which was when I did James Bond stuff. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about that is it, it honestly felt kind of creator owned to me because I'm kind of a bond aficionado. So like <laughs> I didn't like none of my ideas got struck down fortunately, because it was like the Fleming people, you know, knew that I know bond very well. So that right. like, I didn't really run in any speed bumps there, which was great. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think I just am putting a more confident foot forward. Um, and that's mainly, I think because I'm not drawing from someone else's writing. Right. Um, I think if I was writing and drawing my own stuff at Marvel or DC, like I would, I would feel just as good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess there is also a nice thing where, people feel ownership of those characters. And so if you do it in a way that they don't like, you're going to hear about it. Mm-hmm. But if someone doesn't like count, like tough shit, you know what I mean? Cause, that's, <laughs> like, right. cause I've, I've, I was happy. Move along. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, sorry, it wasn't your bag, but you know, it, it came out exactly ha- as intended. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's a bit of freedom in that. Yeah. Right. Right. So has anybody, has anybody can I like four letter word on here? I, oh, I should have asked. Fine. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fun. Has anybody asked for their, for their money back? Like, have they like <laughs> hit you up on Twitter and be like, I want my 1499. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Thankfully. Um, if they gonna, do, you, uh, Kevin's asking, cause he's going to ask for it no. just to mess with you. <laughs> no, man. I, I uh, mean, if you want to do that to a retailer during a pandemic, Kevin, go right ahead. No, go right I, ahead. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. Oh man. Uh man. So many so many good questions to ask. Um this is what I this is what I want to do before we uh before we wrap up our conversation. I had this idea to play a little game with you guys. Uh and then I clued you in to it before we got started. But what I want to do is I'm gonna give you uh a character in the public domain, much like the Count of Monte Cristo, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to take that character to a new setting. And then tell me what you would call this new this new book uh, or new story, and what kind of twist that you would um, you would do with it. Now, Ibrahim, uh, you're not the you're not the first person that we've talked to that's that's had um, that's done something like this. We uh, I guess it was a little bit more than a year ago that we talked to Dwight uh, McPherson, and he was mm-hmm. writing the Edgar Allan Poe tales, things like that, mm-hmm. and so. I had always had, had this idea of like writing a really kick-ass story about Millard Fillmore, the 13th president of the United States, <laughs> because nobody knows about him. You could literally tell whatever kind of adventure story you wanted. And people were like, that happened. I, I, I saw it in a book. I don't know, so, man. There are so many kick-ass Millard Fillmore stories out there already. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I, I, I came up with an idea and my, my example I'm going to drop you guys is this. Okay. So I took um, The Great Gatsby and I set it in small town Florida 2020. Okay. And my <laughs> idea was the twist is uh, well, we're going to call it the Gator Gatsby. And Jay Gatsby is like a Joe Exotic type character that runs like an alligator farm. 
<laughs> so if I was going to update that story, that's what I, that's what I would do with it. And, nice. And listen, I know you have writing connections, so you can put me in touch. I mean, we can put this <laughs> yeah. Con- consider yourself signed, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's James. Here's yours. You got to think about this for a second, James. You get the scarlet letter, and you have to set it in the in the very near techno future. Okay, uh, Sean, you get the Wizard of Oz set in a in a human colony on Mars in the year twenty two twenty two. Oh, okay. And and Abraham, you get the Odyssey, but it's set in the American West, like eighteen eighties. Okay. Hmm. So I've got the Scarlet Letter and like a techno future. So I'm almost thinking some kind of like a prostitution ring and like, like that's kind of like Yakuza style run in like Tokyo and like 2330. And uh, they get some kind of new like uh, STD thing kind of going around. Like. Oh, and that's like the yeah the scarlet letter. Yeah, it's like yeah, you just get like a herpy on your face, but it's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like some kind of weird thing, you know. It's and the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, that's it's, cool. It's weird that like, you like mentioned... you get like a red stripe on yeah, your eye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like some kind of like weird thing, and it you know it's like very deadly too, and maybe you don't even. Like get the mark until after you're dead. It's weird that you mentioned <laughs> Tokyo as your as your near future techno place because I feel like like Japan or Tokyo, a lot of a lot of like Eastern cult Eastern places, um, in general feel like they've been in the future for the last thirty years. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, especially in their cityscapes and yeah, and the, you know, like when you look at it, you're just like like. You almost feel like you're living in Nintendo in a sense, right? Like I think it's, I think it's have a lot of I think it's like the electronic billboards and the neon signs and right. stuff. It's mm-hmm. like I mean there are parts like Blade of Blade Runner has made us just associate with that the future, with, yeah. Like, yeah. Right. There are yeah. parts of there are parts of Houston that look like um like Sokovia from <laughs> Civil War. <laughs> I mean from Age of Ultron. Like they could we could have shot they could have shot that movie in parts of in parts of uh Houston because like I mean, it's a big metropolis or whatever, but it, it, it does still feel very American and, and very Western uh, because of because of where it's at. Right. All right. Uh, just to remind our audience, Sean, you have the Wizard of Oz set in a, a human mm-hmm. Mars colony. And Abraham, yeah. you have the Odyssey, but set in the American West. Yeah, yeah I'm I got to Google the Odyssey <laughs> real quick just to <laughs> confirm that I'm remembering things correctly here. All right. That's that's the that's the one where um, Odysseus and and yeah 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 he has to he make has to it go home through the trials right he has to right. make it home he has from, to shoot an arrow through twelve axes yeah so I'm I'm thinking uh you, and you said it's set in the old west yeah the old west okay um uh so I would call it Odessa nice <laughs> and it would be like uh I I, I you know a war veteran named uh ulysses but he's maybe maybe it's like post-civil war and he fought for the north and so he has he has to make it through the south wearing his you know blue coat 
stuff to get some, you know, to, to like to West, a, to West Texas, to Odessa, Texas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and in doing so, he has to face the trials of a bunch of people going like, Oh, you Yankee and all that shit. And then he's, <laughs> you know, um, the trials are basically him trying to get through these towns to, uh, to get back to his loved ones or something. Absolutely. I think we could do it. Yeah. I want five, I want 5% of that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so mine was Wizard of Oz, but based on Mars in the year 2022. Yeah, so like it's not like a, it's not like a, a separate universe or a parallel universe, kind of like right. Abraham's story. It's it's like like the, the, the reality of our, now. Yeah. yeah, a year from now. Yeah. So, um, what I would imagine with this one is the different types of people that you see in wizard of Oz, like the lollipop kids and you know, the flying monkeys, all that, those are actually different species of from different planets that they've all, you know, traveled to uh, Mars, you know, uh, to kind of get away from, um, you know, from their home planet because they're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, refugees. Yes. Thank you. Refugees. Right. Um, but the twist would be, you know, wizard of Oz, um, is a human just like Dorothy, but you find out that they're not really from Earth, but they're from a twin planet Earth that you never see because it's on the other side of the sun from us, and it's always rotating at the same, you know, uh, revolving around the sun, the same path, the same distance as, as we do. So we never find out about it until like like at the end. That's awesome. Yeah, it's called the, the Wizard of Mars, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the Wizard, Wizard of, of Mars. Mars. There you go. <laughs> With this, with a Z, well, no, Ron Mars might like get mad if we put a Z on the end of it. And oh yeah, <laughs> um, but that's uh, you guys have great ideas. We should just <laughs> workshop this stuff and and right? put it out there. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I think there. I think the what you've done with this book, Abraham, is that is that it. It is a classic story, but you mm-hmm. can you can retell a, a a classic tale with a with a modern twist and. It's not just like, um, it's not just uh, consuming in in like the dialogue or whatnot, but because it's a, a graphic novel and the art that goes with it helps, uh, like you the way you talk about punching up the action, it, it helps with those aspects in ways that you know prose mm-hmm. never never could. Um, and I I just think that that you know a lot of people will will knock like Hollywood or creative types because there are no new ideas. And I don't, I don't think that every idea has to be new. I think that there's, there are, there are great stories out there that can be retold. Um, I mean, if, if we're still reading the Bible too, (laughs) right. (laughs) No, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. And I, and I agree. I, I think, um, you know, there, I, I think if you were to boil it down, there's only like so many, stories that exist right Mm -hmm. and every other story that comes after is just a variation on that right right i mean nobody nobody's sitting here crying about how batman is just zorro you know (laughs) (laughs) i started to think about what i asked sean to talk about wizard of oz set on mars is kind of total recall right yeah 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 Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Was, he, was he dreaming the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. There's no place like home. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, honestly, part of, part of that for me with count was by design because 
I knew that I was trying to break in as a writer artist, right? After having already done a little bit of it, but it's still, you, it can be a hard sell. I mean, it, I didn't just get an automatic yes at Humanoids. Like they made me, you know, show, they were like, okay, we like it, but we want to see more. Cause it was like, I think it was a lofty undertaking and they wanted to see where I was going with it beyond, you know, I had a very concise pitch package I put together. It was like a five, six page PDF that had synopsis and character designs and and sketches of some of the vehicles and things like that. And, uh, but I, they wanted to see what I was going to do with the story. So I ended up writing an entire like beat sheet. That's basically just as if I were to have just seen a movie and then sat down and told you, and then this happens and this happens and this guy goes here. So, um, I knew that I had a bit of an uphill battle just in terms of, you know, breaking in as a writer artist. Uh, and so there was a bit of design in the, in the fact of like taking something that was a known quantity, because I mean, that is what is happening nowadays, right? You go to, I mean, back when we mm-hmm. could go to movie theaters, like you sit down and most of the trailers were either sequels or remakes or reboots or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was reading the room a little bit and going, okay, well this has probably a, better chance i have other ideas too but this one probably has the best chance of you know making it through the door so um but yeah i agree with you man i think i think there's a lot of different things i mean there are more i'm sure there will be more adaptations or you know um remixes of the count of monte cristo in the future too you know Mm. so before we let you go just let our listeners know where they can find you and your work kind of on the web yeah, thank you. Um, if you go to www.countcomic.com, uh, that's got a trailer for the book that I put together. It's kind of like a cinematic style trailer. Uh, and then there's a link where you can click to buy it, you know, whether on um, Amazon or through your local comic shop locator or bookshop.com or Barnes and Noble. Um, and then there are also links on there to my website and my social media and stuff like that. So that's probably the best catch all to find me. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking to us today. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. I think that uh, is a good place to stop. We want to say thank you again to Ibrahim Mustafa uh, for joining us. Check out his book, Count, which is out now. And uh, that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out. Tag us in your posts. We love to interact with, I wouldn't say our fans, but it's mostly our family. I don't know. Like, our I got listeners. I give, <laughs> I, I give my, my students extra credit for, for subscribing to our podcast. Uh, but for more information about us and all of our previous episodes, please visit podpage.com slash the caption line. Until next time. Peace out. <laughs>